everyone, I'm Ari here with Rachel and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. This week we're on episode 157 and we are asking, how do you use foreshadowing? Before we dive into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening if you haven't already. And if you enjoy the show, please do share it with friends and feel free to write a review. Okay, so what exactly is foreshadowing? If you don't know, it's a technique used by writers where they give indications of something that is coming up later in the novel. They are often quite subtly mentioned, but they don't have to be. And think of them like breadcrumbs, creating a path that the reader may not even notice until they get to the end and have one of those really big like aha moments when all those little subtleties have finally kind of made sense. So foreshadowing is really great, especially for creating tension or suspense. Or if you're just definitely if you're writing like mysteries or thrillers, they're perfect for that. But they're really good throughout any sort of books, to be honest. And it's actually really good if the reader does notice the foreshadowing and like is waiting for the moment to come. It does not have to be that kind of hope they don't see it. I actually like catching things and thinking that looks like a foreshadow. Why have we focused on that? I really do like that. And I think other readers do too. So yeah. But there are different types of foreshadowing. So we're just going to quickly mention those. The first one is overt foreshadowing. So this is where the foreshadowing is pretty directly suggested. And that is maybe like if you have a character and they mention to their friend that they're going cave diving and their friend shows concern for this and is like, oh, isn't that dangerous? And then the first character brushes it off and goes, no, I've done it loads of time. Nothing ever goes wrong. It's one of those, you know, something's going to go wrong because they've set it up. That's the kind of thing. That's very overt. So the, the reader is already on edge knowing, uh-oh, something's going to happen in those caves. So yeah, so that's the overt type of foreshadowing. I actually like that type of foreshadowing. There are some times where it feels like it's right in your face and you're like, okay, do you really need to spell it out? But then there are other times where I really enjoy it because then there's that in- anticipation feeling to it. And I think my favorite, which technically it's like, reverse foreshadowing is when they set it up and then nothing actually happens like you're expecting something to go wrong and then it turns out it doesn't but then something will go wrong later so it's like you have like anticipation and then a false sense of security and then everything gets thrown out the window that's what i love i love the chaos of it whenever you said that that reminds me of i don't watch horrors very often because i i'm not a big horror fan but my partner loves horrors so he watches horrors and then tells me which ones i could possibly manage and obviously the jump scare where you know there's usually a person in the bathroom and they're brushing their teeth they're taking pills and then they shut the mirrored cabinet and it's almost always that there's someone behind but obviously that's been done to death so the new one is you're ready for it and you're feeling the anticipation and then they shut the cabinet door and there's nobody behind and you're like but you just know something else is going to jump out and get you in a second they're going to turn around and there's going to be like a dead face right in front of theirs or sitting in the bath or something that always gets me yes no the mirror always gets me too even in non-horror things like other genres have dappled in on that like little trope just the mirror and then you have the music going in the background so it kind of hypes you up and then they close the mirror and there's nothing there and it's like oh but something's gonna happen right yeah it really yeah i do like it i i like that overall feeling whether something happens or not i like the anticipation of it but i'll continue there's are more types of foreshadowing and one of them is subtle which of course is the opposite of the overt foreshadow and the subtle foreshadowing is 
basically when it's not so direct. It is gently hinted at to the point where the reader may not notice it until they look back or they maybe they'll reread the book after they finished and they'll be like, oh, the author spelled it out for me the entire time and I didn't notice. A well-known subtle foreshadowing is Chekhov's gun, named after playwright Anton Chekhov. This is where if a gun hanging on the wall is mentioned in Act 1, then by Act 3 it needs to be used. So think of when you're reading a book and you read like the certain description within a new area that your characters go into and the protagonist notices something on the kitchen table or hanging on the wall or something. And then you kind of sit there and you're like, why did the writer add that little detail? And we could go back to one of our previous episodes talking about description. And you could say that maybe the author was just actually trying to paint the picture for you and describe the room. And that little piece of paper on the kitchen table actually means nothing. But nine times out of 10, if it's a foreshadowing tactic, that little piece of paper will actually be a note from the previous homeowner or another character who was there before and now they're suddenly gone because maybe that house was like the safe house that they were all supposed to meet at or something. I don't know. But I do like the subtle one and it usually never really works on me. I don't often notice those things until after I have to go back and reread the book or rewatch the movie or something. And then it clicks in my head as to what the author was actually trying to do. Next, we have symbols. Symbols added can be great for foreshadowing, though it's important to think about culture when adding these symbols. Maybe you add a snake to your story, one that appears in a scene mentioned in passing. The snake could represent death, betrayal, underhandedness, because in some cultures, this is what snakes represent. Same with black cats and unluckiness, though in some cultures, the black cat is lucky. But the use of symbols can guide a reader to see something coming, such as the darkening clouds of a thunderstorm as characters become tense with each other. Uh, so overall, like symbols, I think are a great visual representation of foreshadowing because foreshadowing is something you're supposed to see coming, but you're not supposed to see coming. So adding that visual piece to it can really help paint the picture for the reader. But yeah, you do need to be careful about the symbols that you use when you do decide to use a symbol for something, especially with foreshadowing or just anything in the book, make sure you do your research on it before you use it at all. That's true, especially if you're doing, say, say you were writing a historical fiction and you cross several countries, you wouldn't want to throw in a symbol that meant death or disease. And yet in the country that that moment is happening, it's actually not. It's like prosperity and opportunity and wealth. And it's like, yeah, you need to be aware of that. Which is quite good though, because if you say you were, I keep using the death symbols, but let's stay with, stay with it. Say you were trying to have an ominous moment and you had like some sort of like crow in a tree cawing or, you know, the snake or some other symbol. It would be fun if you found out what the symbol of death was in that country and used that. Because it might be that some people would get it. It might be that some people wouldn't get it. Or that they'd be like, I wonder why they put a horse in. And then went and did a bit of... Because I don't know about you, but I like doing little bits of research. If I read something, I'm not 100% sure why. I will just like, is that a thing? <laughs> and I will just type it in. And it's like, oh, yeah, white horse meant death. Got it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I do the same thing. Like if I read something in a book and I don't recognize it, even if it's just a vocabulary word, I will go on Google and figure out what it means so I can actually understand the text better. But it goes for the same with different cultures and areas and symbols. You can 
go on to Google or go to your library and look these things up and learn something new at the same time. Although I will admit a lot of times I don't like to stop myself in the middle of a chapter. So I will tell myself, oh, I got to look that up when I'm finished reading. And then I forgot about it. So there is that piece. I always have my phone and I literally just type in a note saying, look up this, or I will snap a photo of the page, like focused on the word because I'm very visual. Although I then forget I've taken the photo and then like 14 months later, I'm like, why have I got a photo of a page? I legit was just about to say that. Yep. I've taken pictures of pages before. And then later on, I'm like, why did I take a picture of this random page? I don't even remember what book this is. Yeah. That's why using the notes app is actually better. Yeah, that's true. It's horrible going through photos going, what the hell is all this I've taken photos <laughs> yeah, of? It's like probably really important in the moment, but no, it's gone. And it's like, I got, I got plenty of photos and videos of my fur babies. And then it's like random book page. It's like, what is this? This does not belong. <laughs> yeah. We're so organized, as you can see. Oh, yeah. The last type of foreshadowing we're going to mention is prophecy. And a prophecy is used to kind of obviously suggest an upcoming event or situation. It's like, it's been foretold. And it's usually kept vague, or mostly should be, to allow it to come true but often it's not in the way it's expected or assumed by the reader so obviously it's like you know oh my god there's going to be a great battle and then everyone's trying to stop the battle happening but in the end what they do is because they know the battle's coming they're trying so hard to stop it that they're actually the reason it happens things like that so technically it's a type of foreshadowing and that's why we threw it in as i said it works better if it's more vague and i think prophecy works better like that anyway because the idea that someone just gives you all the perfect oh this is what's happening from this to this to this it's like no 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 prophecy should definitely be messy and confusing and out of sync so yeah but that is actually a type of foreshadowing yeah so those are the four main foreshadowing types there might be more but these are the ones that we knew when it comes to prophecies, I think that is my favorite type of foreshadowing. Again, maybe it's not technically foreshadowing because it doesn't matter how vague it is. It is kind of spelled out for you that something is coming. Something is going to happen, but you just don't know when, you don't know why, you don't know where, you don't know how. And I think that's what I like the most about it is because prophecies also bring in the element of mystery because a lot of times you might not even know who the prophecy is talking about. There might be three different characters that could pertain to the prophecy. And then as you're reading and as the characters are trying to figure it out, you yourself is trying to figure it out. Again, there's that anticipation factor about like, when exactly is this prophecy going to come into fruition? And nine times out of 10, it doesn't always come true in the way that the characters anticipate it. I love it when there's a prophecy in a book that I interpret differently than the characters do. And then I'm like, okay, who's going to be right? Is it going to be me or are the characters? Like, did the author want me to think that the characters were on the wrong trail or are they actually on the right trail? And then it turns out that neither one of us is correct, but all the possibilities were there. And that's what I like. So with that said, when it comes to actual writing foreshadowing and putting it in your books, I will admit, before I even go into this, any foreshadowing gets thrown into my books, probably like 75% of the time it's done by accident, okay? I plan and I outline. I don't necessarily think of foreshadowing when I write my chapters or anything like that. But then there are sometimes when I edit and I go back and I'm like, oh, I did have this idea before. I just didn't realize it. And I wrote it into the story already. So that's my favorite kind of foreshadowing is the accidental kind. But if you do add in foreshadowing into your books on purpose, here are a couple of things to consider. First, 
it needs to be relevant and significant for plot points because otherwise it's going to come out of left field and it's not going to make any sense and it's just going to confuse the readers and bring them into a false sense of security, which in a way can be a good thing if you want to mislead them like a red herring. But for the most part, if they don't get any reward or nothing happens later on, then it's kind of a waste. Also, there needs to be a payoff as I, you know, just said, don't leave breadcrumbs and then fail to actually reveal what has been foreshadowed or what has been misled to be foreshadowed. You need to give your readers something. It doesn't matter if you meant to foreshadow, if you did it on purpose, if you wanted to lead them off the trail, you have to give them something. Otherwise, it's just not going to make sense. And it's just going to be like anticlimactic. And nobody wants that. We want to end our stories, our chapters with the bang. Because, you know, we want our readers to actually come back for the next book. Definitely if you're writing a series. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And actually leading on to that, track your foreshadowing. Because it can be easy to forget that you've not added foreshadowing or what payoffs need to be included, especially as Rachel said, if you've kind of accidentally been creating them, which obviously that's fine. And you should be able to catch those when you do your next pass over your manuscript. If you're just blindly reading and not noticing, then that's not good because then you will have that anticlimactic issue. So keep it organized. That's something that I've started doing. I like to have a, a file on my Scrivener. And as I'm coming up with ideas and think, oh yeah, they have to do this, they're doing that. I'll be like, how can I foreshadow that? Or I'll even come up with something and think, oh, that's almost a good foreshadow. And I make a note and I have a little file called foreshadowing to remind myself that I need to mention X because it's coming up in the second book and it needs to be mentioned in book one before it gets mentioned in book two and all this. And it's weird. I always thought, well, yeah, there'd be that the odd foreshadow, but I've actually got quite a few little bits and I didn't realise I had that many. So tracking it is useful. And also it just helps if you need to sort of like add to it. If you know you've mentioned it in maybe chapter two or three, and then you want to raise it again, maybe in chapter 14, just to kind of keep that thread alive. So the, the reader does, it's either subconsciously in there or if it's an overt one, it's like in their face. It just helps to know where and what your foreshadows were. So definitely track them. And one method that can work is if you write your story from start to finish and then go back and put the foreshadowing breadcrumbs in afterwards. So say you've gone through the story and then you've done your big like, aha moment. And you think, right, well, the characters have done this, this and this. And the reader needs to be aware that it's coming up in some form, whether it's symbols or prophecy or whatever. And then you can go back and you can just sprinkle those little nuggets through and maybe use a different mix of them. You know, you can have some prophecy, some symbols, some overt, whatever. And that way, you know, you've built up to the reveal. So you don't always have to be, as you're writing, thinking, oh my God, how do I do a foreshadow? If you can't do that, don't worry about it. Just get the story down, get to the reveal, get to the bit of, oh my gosh, this happened, and then go back and slot in areas of foreshadowing. A lot of times foreshadowing can be something really simple, like Chekhov's gun, like focusing on a specific thing. If you're sat there mentioning that the gun on the wall is polished and loaded, yeah, I mean, if you're just brushing past it, like, you know, the ugly wallpaper and the old, you know, shotgun and the animal heads on the wall, and then you drift off, that's one thing. But if you are literally focused on this gun and you've mentioned that it's polished and loaded and it's, you know, ancient, but you think it might still work, then it needs to be shot. So you can just drop them in. It can be little tiny scenes, little tiny pieces within the story. But I have found that to be quite useful too, because I have had to go back and wedge in some foreshadowing. 
Personally, I think I would get confused by doing that. I think I would actually mess up my story or mess up the flow of it, I guess I I should say, if I had to go back and add in those little details. I mean, it sounds simple enough. And if, if I tried it, it probably would work out just fine. But I feel like... All right, when we say about taking notes about the foreshadowing that you've already written into your story or that you want to add in later, we say you can do this whether you're a planner or a pantser. It doesn't matter. You're not planning anything. You're just taking notes, technically, if you're a pantser. So I think planning that out and going back through the story, I think I would kind of forget where to go. I think my notes would have to be so meticulous for me. Otherwise, I would slot them in random spots and like to the point that it wouldn't make any sense and whether you do that or you organically slide your foreshadowing bits into your story you do want to keep an eye on any edit changes that may affect the foreshadowing that you've created because maybe you added some great foreshadowing to a specific scene only for that scene to get cut four drafts in and then you don't realize. I think this is one of the reasons why I normally add foreshadowing accidentally because I don't really notice those things. I don't typically do overt foreshadowing. I tend to do subtle foreshadowing to the point that like I don't even realize it. So when I edit it and go back and later and like change something, I don't necessarily notice that I'm getting rid of a literary device. In which case, that can kind of screw things up for you because then later on down the road, when your readers get to a specific point, they're like, oh, this came out of left field. And it's like, yeah, you're right. It did because I didn't think about it and I just cut it all because I didn't think it was needed or the sentence sounded stupid and I needed to rewrite it instead of cut it. But anyway, that's when you go and you get feedback. So when you're talking to your beta readers, ask if they saw the reveal coming. Did they spot any of the foreshadowing? And it's okay if they did and thus guessed what was coming because it's actually worse if they didn't see it coming and couldn't even look back at the clues they may have originally missed because then that means you didn't leave your breadcrumbs well enough or you did leave breadcrumbs, but they went down the left path when your characters actually went down the right path. But yeah, so I feel like we've covered quite a bit like what is foreshadowing, when you would use it, different types of foreshadowing and things to consider. It's not that difficult. I say that, maybe it is really difficult. Maybe I'm just being a bit of a jerk. But I think sometimes we we tangle ourselves up with some of these terms, you know, and we think they're bigger and deeper than they are. Sometimes it's literally a case of if you're taking your characters to a random place randomly, then maybe that place needs to have been mentioned earlier on. You know, if they're going to the secret cavern of dragons, then maybe you need to have mentioned that there was a myth about a secret cavern and that maybe there was originally dragons, but they all died out, don't you know? It could be something as small as that, just something that kind of moved. I don't know. I remember in school, whenever we would read books in English class, the teachers would always be like, okay, let's talk, let's find the symbolism in this chapter, let's find the foreshadowing in this chapter, blah, blah, blah. It always drove me nuts because my teachers would be like, what's foreshadowing here? And I'm like, I don't know. We didn't finish reading the book. So I don't know what the author wants to tell us. And I honestly thought that the authors just was like, this is a bit of piece of information that the readers need to know. So I'm going to put it in. It doesn't actually mean anything. There's no hidden meaning behind it. It's not foreshadowing. So I think that's one of the reasons why I always do it accidentally, because I don't necessarily think about it. It's always an afterthought. 
With that said, I do want to add, I feel like for certain genres, like fantasy, for example, a lot of times they'll have a map at the beginning of the book. And obviously the map is labeled and it'll tell you different areas of the world, such as towns or castles, forests, paths, whatever. And I think that I may be thinking like completely out of the box here, so I might be wrong, but I feel like that in a way is also foreshadowing. I think maps can be a good foreshadowing tool. Like if you have the main characters living in this elaborate castle, but then all the way on the other end of the map, it's just like this dark shadowy place, but it has a name. You can be like, hmm, I wonder what that place is. But since we know it exists, we'll probably get to see it at some point. May not be in that book. It may be in like the next book if it's a series or something like that. You do know it exists and you have the knowledge of it. I don't know if you could consider maps being foreshadowing, but I do think that is a great way to uh, kind of showcase the different areas that your characters will go. And depending on the type of areas and what the book is actually about, you can really be like, oh, why are they going to go to this meadow over here? No, I agree. It's like if I see a map in the front of a book and several places are named, the characters either have to go there, be from there, or it needs to be mentioned like, oh, yes, we can't go to old cow town. <laughs> Stupid name. Because it's been ravaged by plague. Even if we never set foot in it, just mentioning that that is what's happened to old cow town, that's enough. But if I'm looking at a map and those places and we've not even talked about them, I'm going to be I'm going to be bothered by that. But even if you've mentioned old Cowtown has like is all in ruin because of a plague, now a plague has been introduced. Now is this plague spreading across the entire land? What about the neighboring towns of old Cowtown? It really gets you thinking. Yeah. Did they meet some ex-wizard who's from, who's from <laughs> old Cowtown? And if you understand that little joke, it's because you listened to one of our earlier episodes. And if you don't, you need to listen to our earlier episodes. But if you did listen to our earlier episodes, congratulations for catching that joke. You get a <laughs> virtual cookie because that's all we can give through the computer. Yeah. This is such a it can be episode. any flavor you want. <laughs> cookie flavor. Why are they flavored cookies? Just cookie flavor. It's so weird. What do you mean different? Ugh, Ari. The only difference it's... in a cookie is that it's got chocolate chips, white chocolate chips. They're horrible. Nobody should eat that. Or yeah. Smarties instead of chocolate chips. Any other type of cookie is just weird. We don't need flavors. It's just cookie. You've never eaten a peanut butter cookie? No. Oh and my I like God. peanut butter. It's no. delicious. No. Then if you like peanut butter, you'll like peanut butter cookies. It's just chocolate chip cookies, just without the chocolate chips. It just has peanut butter in it. You've just ruined cookies. You need no. chocolate chip. No. I mean, yeah. Well, you could have a chocolate chip peanut butter cookie. Then it's like a Reese's cookie. You have Reese's over there, right? No, not that I know of. I've never heard what? of Reese's. Ari. Okay, we're totally tangenting <laughs> off with this. So we're going to stop this episode now. And let's just do a quick thing. So in the end, foreshadowing is a great plot device. If you do it well, with care or intention, or just like Rachel and just accidentally do it. So there you are. Have at it. Let's turn it over to you guys. Do you use foreshadowing? Let us know your answers in the comments and we can chat. Also, feel free to talk about cookies and whether or not you think that cookies should have weird flavors. I say no, they should just be chocolate chip cookies. No, you can have weird flavors. It's fine. <laughs> How dare you? This How is the you? wrap up. This I is the care. outro. And you are. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to sing throughout the whole outro. La, 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 <laughs> la. I will, I will kick you out of this meeting to stop that. You're not the host, are you? <laughs> I am not. Anyway. 
to remember that we release new episodes every Wednesday. They're usually a bit more professional than this, but not much. Next week, we'll be having our first guest episode of the year and discussing how to handle multiple novel points and story arcs with our guest, Troy Lambert. To ensure you don't miss it, do hit the subscribe button on your way out. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Mary Writer Podcast. We'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Scraps of Paper. We have notes everywhere. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.